Hey, I'm Nick something Italian. Hey, I'm Teddy something Greek. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That, the podcast that explores artifacts from turn of the millennium Christian culture. Picture with me, if you will, two people waiting for a train. The smoke from the trains and the metal smell filling this inner city train station. These two people are having a conversation. You can barely make out what they're talking about. But what do you think it is? The weather? Their class? Their work? Well, you're wrong. It's about an exorcism. Of course it's about an exorcism. (laughs) Uh, Why were we talking about exorcisms? All right. Well, here's our origin story. So these two people standing at the train station are Nick and Teddy. They are two PhD students waiting for their train pretty early on in the semester, I would say. Might even go as far to say day one or day two. And we are talking about some probably normal things for a few minutes, but then quickly pivot into a very interesting topic change due to realizing we have some very strange things in common. What were those things, Nick? Well, uh, pretty quickly, we realized that we were both homeschoolers. I think that's actually the first thing we realized we had in common, Yeah, um, which has a lot of things entailed in it. Being a homeschooler, it also pretty generally means you grew up in a fundamentalist Christian house. Um, and we're roughly the same age. So we grew up in that environment in the 90s and early 2000s. We also uh, found out through one of these odd conversations, uh, surprisingly not the exorcism one, that uh, we were both in Pentecostal circles as well. Uh, for those of you not familiar, Pentecostalism is a branch or a sub-branch of uh, fundamentalist Christianity that believes in the ideas of the uh, gifts of the spirit, including speaking in tongues and depending how intense you get handling snakes. Neither of us were snake handlers, though, unfortunately. No, we're not. We're not that interesting. So two homeschoolers growing up in fundamentalist Pentecostal churches, highly charismatic churches in the 1990s to early 2000s. So to some degree, this, you know, Christian culture is always interesting. But I think that one thing our podcast is going to sort of reveal is that we would argue that there's also something particularly fascinating about this era, might we say, spanning about 15 years or so. Um, So the 1990s to early 2000s, what do you associate with this period of time? Dear goodness. I mean, the first thing that sticks out to me is like the Y2K, you know, uh, uh, panic. (laughs) Um, I also remember this was sort of a a boon in the Christian music and Christian movie industry as well. Um, You know, it's weird because I began to realize as everyone does growing up, that the world was bigger than it was when I was a child. Um, So there's that sort of coinciding of the world being bigger, but also all of these things becoming more expansive, the elements of Christian subculture becoming more expansive at the same time. How about you? What do you associate? Yeah, so I think that when I think about our era growing up, I think about a lot of scary things, if I'm being honest. Sure. And I think that 
you know, although on one hand I am speaking as just sort of an anxious kid who was upset about, you know, these these big cultural moments. I also think that they're significant in terms of um, conversations about Christianity of the time. And I think those events are pretty crucial in constructing the Christianity that we experienced and, and really embraced. So, you know, um, in the late 90s, we have Columbine, which then leads into Y2K panic, which then leads into early 2000s. And at that point, then we have you know, the forever world changing 9-11 war on terror. Um, we from the 90s into the early 2000s moved from like a very sort of liberal secular um, administration and cultural moment back into a more conservative and far right one. And in the midst of all of this, you know, we have Christianity really starting to catch on to the fact that they are, for lack of better words, losing its members. Right. So in the late 90s, we see a relatively dramatic shift in people who no longer actually identify as Christians, which makes the church buckle down more and embrace the kind of aggressive fundamentalism that we're going to be talking about here. So just for reference, the, the general social survey reports that in the 1990s, it's a moment when young Americans seem to lose religion virtually overnight. In 92, 87% of young adults indicated their faith was Christian, primarily Catholic and Protestant. Just 8% of this age group said that they had um, no religious affiliation. So we're talking like when surveyed, predominantly Christian, right? Only a few years into the 2000s, we see um, this drop by about 15 percentage points to 73%, um, a ratio that actually hadn't changed at all between 72 and 92 had moved by double digit percentages in seven years. Wow. So we were not in the camp of people who lost their faith during this time, but we were living in the cult in the Christian culture that was responding to that lack of faith or that, that loss of faith. Right. So, you know, I think that a lot of the thing, a lot of the media we experienced, a lot of the events, a lot of the discourse was a sort of hysteria and reaction to what they saw, what the church saw as a kind of like increasing secularization and a battle they were losing. Yeah. In terms of faith. I think that's a really great way to put it. Reaction is the word that comes to mind a lot when I think about a lot of the texts and cultural artifacts from this time period. It's uh, they're about uh, pitting yourself, your Christian identity against what the secular identity is. It's that division between the two um, about uh, uh, proving that Christianity can be culturally relevant, can be life changing and important and and all of these things. And so there's this dialogue that's always happened to some extent between Christian subculture and the dominant culture, but we see it sort of kicked into high gear with the 90s and 2000s. And you got to figure that a lot of these events that you talked about, Columbine, Y2K, 9-11, all of which happened within a span of what, four or five years, mm -hmm. really play into a lot of the narrative uh, features of the Christian subculture. The idea of an ever-present enemy, the idea of like persecution, the idea of uh, needing to be ready for the end of everything, like these things played into 
each other very poetically almost. Uh, and so that all fuels this uh, proliferation of Christian action in the culture. Absolutely. And a lot of that action manifested as, like you said, an increase in production of texts that could be separate from the secular world. Right. So although we do have Christian music, Christian literature, Christian industry um, in the 1980s, we see it really blossoming in the late 80s. And then into the 90s, we have an entire Christian music industry that like the churches, you know, um, really, really frequently endorsing and consuming, we're starting to see more like very marketable Christian um, homeschooling curriculums. We're starting to see Christian stores where, I mean, it's it becomes a market that it, uh, of the religion, right? That that people are consuming, enjoying, advocating for, and especially positioning in contrast to the stuff the world is producing. So, you know, I think I, I can speak for both of us when I say it is impossible for me to look back on my upbringing and my years in the church without those texts, that my experience in the church is predominantly, in fact, defined by all of these, all of these texts. And by texts, I'm being broad here in like an academic sense, right? Like a sort of, you know, cultural um, product um, of the church that the church produced through this Christian industry. For sure. I think that that leads me to two um, important points for our podcast and this this time period. Um, I remember a scholar of purity culture uh, described this era as boiling Christianity down to its most marketable talking points and then building the religion back up from there. That's perfect, isn't it? is that distilling down to the most marketable and then the rebuild those are the phases that defined i think our adolescence and so what then you just said using an academic perspective on this word text you and i are educators you and i are both graduate students and uh, particularly in the humanities and and um a good description of what humanities studies are is uh exploring and understanding culture through the artifact that culture creates so this could be art or music or uh i mean even tchotchkes really anything can be an artifact or a text uh, we use those words sort of interchangeably sure. uh, basically these are containers for cultural meaning and by uh remembering these together that's that was our bond is remembering these containers for meaning uh we began to explore what our uh adolescence what our upbringing meant to us and and how it influenced who we are these early conversations revolved uh largely around uh uh petty or i saying Hey, do you remember such and such? Do you remember Veggie Tales, or do you remember, you know, any of these things? And then we'd sort of do this informal, uh, close reading of these texts. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'd be spending our, you know, evenings in class talking about, quote, high literature, right? Right. And then we'd be spending our time before and after talking about, you know, Bible man and and these texts that were, you know, equally important to us just at a different stage. And conversations were always sort of our conversations about the church, some of which became to me, you know, now looking back, were incredibly meaningful were in fact sparked by like, hey, remember that film? Hey, remember that book? Remember that series, that item, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that like, it's such a weird thing to be in a context like a PhD program or like a workplace and casually interact with someone who has such a deep understanding of things that were always uh, seemed that always seemed corner case when talking to other folks, you know, mm. no one in that those rooms that we were in understood what we meant when we would mention a silly song with Larry or talk about a DC talk song, you know, uh, those things, you know, we'd have to sit and and I, I remember having a conversation with somebody where I referenced something that I thought was totally normal. And I realized I spent the next 10, 15 minutes having to backfill context to explain what that mm-hmm. meant, because there's just something so, um, and, I, and I don't use this word with, with much negative context intentionally, but pervasive about Christian subcultures that it was just so all encompassing mm-hmm. that those of us who grew up inside of that we might be able to have shared touchstones with someone who grew up outside of it, but they have very little touchstones to understand our upbringing. Agreed. And given the, you know, there are levels right to this as well. And lots of, you know, people in my life, you know, ha- were in the church to some degree or maybe even had a religion that their family subscribed to. But the intensity of our experience, the the depth to which we were involved in this community um, is relatively unique. And finding someone who you can kind of speak in shorthand to is so comforting and fun. And it's also just fun to be talking to someone who, you know, believes the crazy shit you're saying. Like, I don't know if you experience this, but I will often be talking to you know, my far more my friends who grew up in more reasonable environments um, about the church. And I'll see this look on their face where I can't help but think that they think I'm lying or that I'm exaggerating or, you know, <laughs> because some of it does just seem crazy. So did you ever get the like, oh, honey, look afterwards, <laughs> like the I pity you or like, right, like you're what you're telling a normal story. And you watch people's faces and it's as though you revealed something horrifying or right. traumatic about your life. Right. Like, I mean, it, it, it it's kind of scary sometimes. It it's very disconcerting. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it, it comes down to also you and, you know, I think people like us, we find a lot of humor in our experiences. So we present these things at this point in our lives now, as we're like kind of out of it with some lightness. And if you're not familiar with it, it is startling. I'll make a joke about, you know, being terrified, losing sleep as a kid over the mark of the beast. And people look at me like, yes, oh, honey, like they want to hug me. Right. And I'm like, oh, no, really, it's fine. Like I'm over it now. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> so 
But I, I guess I just say that to say that it is rare and special to find someone, especially in a freaking PhD program with nine people in it, you know, who you can talk to about this stuff mm-hmm. in the way that I, I talk to you. It's funny. I have this uh, vivid memory uh, of us having a conversation and you were talking about some tragic experience of a friend or something along those lines. And you made a passing comment about, well, you know, it'll all work together. And I casually said, (laughs) God is good. And you just instinctively all the time, all the time and all the time. (laughs) You know, like, it's so weird that we can both use those, like you said, shorthands, those signal phrases and have the same uh, temperament about it, you know. Um, And it does make a discomforting situation more comfortable. Yeah. So that's what we'd like to do here with this podcast. Basically subject all of you <laughs> to these conversations. <laughs> I feel like that's what we just said. This highly individual experience that is pretty rare. Now we're just going to share it with the entire world, which makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. You know? We're, we're going <laughs> to jump from the train platform to the podcast platform. Oh, so we want to take time uh, on each of our episodes to dive deep into a lot of these popular artifacts or to use academic language to do a close reading of that text. And so the short explanation of a close reading for those of you who are not in this world uh, is to the way I describe it to my students is we take a microscope to understand the things that make up the full text. This could be lines of a song. um, It could be the way different elements work together, for example, a music video plus lyrics plus, you know, the person that makes the song. All of these things make up the container for meaning that is a text. So we're going to take this microscope. We're going to read closely and try to understand both what the meaning that text created at the time, what meaning it may have inadvertently made that we can now see only in retrospect. Um, And also, like, how it made that meaning. Uh, Rather than saying, what did this thing mean? We kind of want to understand how did this thing mean um, in that context. So we're being very descriptive rather than uh, what some of these deconstructing sounding podcasts might do and prescribe a path to deconstruct. We're not looking to do that here. We want to describe experiences not tell you what to believe or what to think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're we are starting to we're starting each episode with a text and we are using that text ultimately to both to to better understand the era in which we grew up, but also just to analyze the text as the text itself for the for the sake of the text. Um, and I don't think that we ultimately even have a sort of end goal in terms of where we should end up. We're just curious about the texts that shaped our childhoods, what they said, what they didn't say, how they made us feel, how they were structured, what their agenda, all of that. But I don't think that we're ultimately, you know, aiming to to arrive anywhere in particular. It's just exploratory. Yes, I, I love that idea of exploration or excavation. Um, those are, I think, the key words for us moving forward. You know, it's not um, 
you know, we're not coming at this like SpongeBob at the Krusty Krab tearing down the establishment board by board. Mm-hmm. We want to we want to be critical, but but gracious in that process. We're going to make jokes. We're going to uh, sling around some no, no words. Uh, but ultimately, that's our sense of humor. That's our temperament and our innate uh, academic curiosity. You know, it, it's it's an interesting line to toe. I think that um, I've seen mostly in my friends who are teachers and academics as well. You know, it's it's that I have to be sardonic. I've got to make you laugh. But, uh, you know, I want to ha ha ah you instead of, you know, the tragic ha ha. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, you know, ultimately. I'm not aiming to tell you how you should feel about any of these texts. I'm just aiming to better understand them. That's one of my major goals here. I'm still not even sure how I feel about a lot of them. But one thing I think this podcast is really cool. Why this podcast is really cool is because it's kind of giving me the opportunity to return to some of these things. Um, what I when I otherwise wouldn't have had the time, the effort, the energy, the platform, whatever to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was that was the the function of our uh, conversations for a while was, um, you know, we were both in different stages of deconstruction when we first sure. met. And I, I think the conversations that I had with you were uh, emboldening, enabling uh, you enabled me. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> To, to take this a step further, to ask the questions uh, that we didn't get to ask, you know, a, a phrase that you use that I think is is kind of wonderful is uh, the idea of a ve- there was a veil of protection or an assumed sacredness to these a, a lot of these ideas and texts that we just couldn't get past as adolescents, as people growing up in this, because there were. Uh, uh, prohibitions on certain questions and certain perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't. I think I. It's probably safe to assume we were both relatively, you know, curious kids and critical thinkers. But there is, you can be those things and not have the environment to actually, you know, sort of ex- explore them. I'm sure I had questions about these texts. But I didn't have the forum or the opportunity to explore them. So in some ways, I see this as, you know, kind of a a chance to go back and and critically evaluate the things I maybe wanted to critically evaluate at the time or should have critically evaluated at the time, but simply didn't have the people, the space, the permission to do so with or in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. I I like that idea of permission. And and I think ultimately that brings it back around to (laughs) even though we're subjecting you all to this, this (laughs) is a podcast about us understanding ourselves better. You know, it's a way for us to understand what made us what's humming around in the background that we forgot about and giving us a chance to remember who we wanted to be and who we could be now that we can forget about some of these things. Um, It's a way of forgetting by remembering, if I can turn a phrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our hope is that people will who grew up in this era, like I'm assuming that's our sort of intended audience, you know, people who also grew up in this era 
that they're going to maybe remember some things they forgot and have the chance to pause and be like, that was effed up or, you know what, that was actually okay. Or, you know, I don't know what conclusion people will come to, but I just love the idea that we could potentially be facilitating the conversation that never got to happen. That that's, that's where I see this podcast going. And I see us again, being different from maybe some other, um, you know, sort of deconstruction podcasts currently up um, in the sense that we are going to keep them relatively rooted in a text. So we will always have a text to come back to, to kind of root the conversations. And we're also not attempting to kind of span Christianity on, on like a kind of vastly historical level either. We're kind of, you know, in some ways, like we're rooted, we're rooted in a particular time. And then we're also rooted by the text. So that's what you, that that's what our listeners can, can always know going into the episode that we're in a certain era and we will usually have be anchored by a, a, an artifact of some kind. Yeah. Well said. I, I think that's a great summary of my goals as well and my hopes for this. Um, again, I, I hope that us having these conversations in a public space allows for more conversations to happen beyond what we have to say. Um, I think being an academic is about asking good questions and facilitating good conversations, not always having the answer. We kind of also just hope you'll laugh with us. Yeah. Laughter's fun. <laughs> Yeah. Laughter is what brings us together. And uh, yeah. And there's a lot to laugh at. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. We hope that you will join us um, and that you will uh, tune in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. There you'll be able to like join in on the conversation and also get updates on our upcoming episodes. Um, we look forward to having you on this journey of remembering on, oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs>